Um, but we could also say that we're recording because you can talk about a chef schedule like it's never going to happen. Like this, just like yeah, the stars well, align. You know, you can t- yeah say it. Like we gave Melissa dates. He's like tomorrow, <laughs> two o'clock. I was like, tomorrow. I was like, well, I don't want anything. <laughs> this will work. Hey everyone, this is episode two hundred and eight of Bourbon Pursuit. And we've got a lot of news to go through. And the first one is that there is a huge news break. The U.S. Supreme Court in a 7-2 decision has struck down a two-year residency requirement for anyone seeking an initial license to operate a liquor store in Tennessee. Now, why is that important? Well, because you might have remembered back on Bourbon Community Roundtable number 29, we discussed this very topic. It's total wine versus the state of Tennessee. And it has a lot of implications that are really wrapped up inside here because the Commerce Clause, which is a part of the United States Constitution, is wrapped up in here. This means it could potentially open up interstate commerce and shipping across all state lines for bourbon. We're gonna be paying really close attention to this one because it's a huge win for consumers and we'll see really what effects are gonna happen in the months to come. The Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour is now expanding with more distilleries, a new look, and an upgraded finishing prize. The expanded craft tour will break down into four different regions, Northern, Central, Western, and the Bluegrass. This will help guests map out their distillery excursions to all corners of the Commonwealth. Adam Johnson, Senior Director of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Experiences, who was on the podcast way back on episode eight, talked about the Bourbon Trail then. And he's saying that each region will have streamlined itineraries and suggested stops, with visitors earning a collectible challenge coin after completing each territory. Fans who tour all 20 of the stops will earn a free customized barrel stave to display their coins. This showpiece also comes with an official Kentucky Bourbon Trail tasting glass, and you can get the Craft Tour Passport. It has been redesigned as a new souvenir guidebook with nearly 70 pages of distillery information, cocktail recipes, suggested travel routes, maps, events, and more. Those can be purchased at participating distilleries for $3 with the proceeds going to further the KDA's efforts to craft a better drinking culture with select social responsibility and environmental sustainable partners. You can read all about the trail and which distilleries are a part of it at kybourbontrail.com. We're starting to roll out more barrels into our private barrel program from major distilleries. We recently sold out of our Elijah Craig, Buffalo Trace, and two Four Roses barrels in a matter of just a few hours. And we currently have our Knob Creek Rye and Maker's Mark 46 private selections up for sale in our Patreon community with not one, not two, but three Russell's Reserve barrels to shortly follow here in the next two months. But the big news is to announce that we are headed back to Heaven Hill. We're going there in August to select not one, but two Elijah Craig barrels. We're going to have eight barrels rolled out for us to select from. And well, I kind of lied. That really wasn't the big news. The big news is that we've also been allocated one bourbon and one rye barrel from that small little distillery that's next door to Heaven Hill. Yeah, you might have guessed it. It's Willet. 
This will be happening in August as well. We're excited, super excited to be able to bring not only just these barrels to these private barrel programs where we get to taste and try these unique expressions, but it's more about bringing these experiences to our Patreon community. So if you're a supporter of us, make sure that you can go and you get yourself signed up. And if you wanna know more about it, you can go to patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. And if you support the podcast at over $10 more per month, you can get yourself entered to be a part of this distillery excursion as well. Just look for the post and get yourself entered. And thanks again to our podcast partner, Kegan Bottle out of the Southern California area for making all of this possible. You can get all kinds of bourbon shipped to your door at keg, the letter N, bottle.com. Now for today's show, if you're a fan of good bourbon, then you're likely a fan of good food too. Today's guest is an intersection of those two, combining a culinary background with his love for the South and of course, bourbon. You may know Chef Newman Miller from his appearance on Top Chef season 16. He's also the executive chef and owner of Star Hill Provisions at Maker's Mark and the Harrison Smith House in Bardstown. We talk about his culinary background, where he was a part of the team who created the McDonald's McGriddle. And he also talks about being behind the scenes at Top Chef and some of the celebrities he got to know through the process. We then start talking about his introduction to bourbon and how he befriended Drew Colesveen of Willett to start really trying some amazing whiskey and how at the end of the day, that really led him to running his own restaurant with inside of the Maker's Mark Distillery. So if you're a wannabe chef or if you're an occasional TV dinner kind of person, this episode is going to have something for you. Oddly enough, many people still don't know what a podcast is. So if you've got a friend or a relative that's just now getting into bourbon, Show them how to subscribe to a podcast and they will know every time a new episode is dropped. Thanks for being our boots on the ground and spreading the good word of bourbon. Up next, we've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick and this is Above the Char. Happy birthday, America. It's Independence Day and this week we celebrate our country's rich heritage and great history. Bourbon is at the forefront of this country's history. From the moment that we are a new country, George Washington and Alexander Hamilton decide to tax whiskey distillers, and whiskey distillers didn't appreciate that very much, so they tarred and feathered the whiskey tax man. This time would be known as the Whiskey Rebellion, and it was the first time that the federal government had actually deployed federal troops against its own people. Whiskey would find itself in the political circles for years to come. From the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897 to the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, and from President Taft giving bourbon its first definition and definitions for whiskeys to the Congressional Declaration of 1964 that made bourbon a unique product in the United States, to President Obama and McConnell uh, having discussions that would bring bourbon into the fold, to President Trump giving all kinds of tariffs all over the world that would lead to uh, retaliatory tariffs from other countries such as Canada, Europe, China, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this holiday, don't drink a beer. For God's sakes, don't let anyone drink vodka. So really, celebrate America. Go to your store, buy a nice bottle of bourbon, pour yourself a couple fingers, and sip. After all, it's the American way. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey. If you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers.
And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. Kenny and Ryan, the original duo here, doing uh, a kind of another spin on Bourbon. You know, we, you know, we we've talked about this before, and we were actually talking uh, to the chef earlier before we actually started recording. And there is a good heavy instance of if you're drinking good, you're also eating good. And we looked at this and said, you know, there's an idea we can start bringing some culinary aspects into it. And our guest today is not only is very well versed in the culinary side, but also he's got a rich history with bourbon being even from, you know, the Bardstown area and even in Louisville. So it's going to be fun, interesting just to be able to talk about that too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you, food, I'm, that's one thing I'm passionate and love, as Kenny may know, uh, and my gut sometimes shows. He's, but, a, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a walking yell. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is, yeah. But uh, our guest today, so as everyone knows, I'm from Barstown, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> uh, one thing missing from the bourbon scene, the bourbon trail, was like hospitality, good food, good experiences down in Barstown to kind of go along with. And our guest today kind of saw that uh, and filled that need. So I'm really excited to see like how he got involved in that area because it's something that was needed and he's 
done a great job at it. So let's dive into it. Yeah. And you know, it's also good because we've had a chance to actually talk to our guest today multiple occasions throughout the past the few years. Yeah. And it just a few you, whiskey pigs. We've, yeah, uh, yeah, a few different events <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> a few few different dinners at, at his his places as well. And you know, now the stars just aligned and we were able to to sort of make this happen and We'll get into why we're actually able to record because the apparently the uh, the schedule of a chef is pretty hectic. So we'll get into that too. So today on the show we have thankfully he had his haircut today, oh, so yes. we could squeeze him in, you know. <laughs> and his haircut happened to be right by us, so <laughs> it all worked out. Yeah. So today on the show we have Chef Newman Miller. He was featured on episode two of the most recent season of Top Chef. He is the chef owner at Starhill Provisions that you can be found at Maker's Mark. He is also the executive chef and owner at the Harrison Smith House in Bardstown. He's been recognized by the James Beard Foundation, and now he's a celebrity podcaster making his way on yeah, Pursuit. So, time. Now you've officially made it. Who, who cares about Padma? <laughs> well, uh, you know what? The show is one thing, but Padma is another. Uh, well, you know, that was so I want you to be honest. <laughs> I, I had this towards the end, but might as well break it out since I'm, uh, we're talking about it. How's Padma in life, real life? I got to be honest. I think that the the way she acted towards everybody that I saw, the way she was towards me, it, it raised my level of uh, opinion of her tremendously. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's beautiful. I think in person, maybe more so. You know, my wife would agree. I, I made sure, you know, Rachel was on site too. But she was just so kind. Yeah. Um, everybody that was on the show was really kind. I mean, Tom Colicchio... They'd tell him he had another hour to wait. He'd get mad. I'd put him in the Kubota and we'd <laughs> ride up to the lake, you know, and uh, sort of talk about the future of Makers and what we had going on there. He told me some crazy stories about Gramercy Tavern, and it was like we'd known each other and we had met a day ago. So Padma cool. was great, but the, the whole group, they uh, they found a way to sort of surprise, I think. Uh, you watch TV that much, and you you just don't think anybody has any time of day, but it was great. Oh, yeah, very cool. And I probably jumped your schedule. So no, I, no, because honestly, <laughs> that's— Of questions. No, that's, but, I mean, that's top of mind, right? Everybody yeah. was going to wonder it. It's yeah. the most common question yeah. I get from the Top Chef experience. So talk about when you got the news, hey, Top Chef's coming to Makers, and they're like, hey— you're going to be involved. How? What What was going through your head? You know, it, it was amazing. Um, the way it actually happened was way back when they were doing the uh, the scouting trip for Top Chef. They were trying to pitch Kentucky as the state to come to. And it was down to us and one other state. I still don't know who it was. And I was going on vacation, and Seth Thompson uh, reached out to me, and I didn't respond. <laughs> and then, uh, no offense, it was just I was going on vacation the next day. It was the first one in four years with my family. We had to go. And then Rob Samuels called me, and I and I answered, and he mentioned something about a group coming to Kentucky. And then uh, I think it was Kristen Branscombe. We ended up talking to the director of tourism, and they, you know, they just let me know they were coming to town and could I do it. So I drove my family to Florida. I flew back. I cooked for 12 people. I went to bed. I flew back. I was on the beach the next morning at 11 a.m. <laughs> wow. And so that was uh, that was the start of it. And then it took about eight months before we found out whether that paid off or not. And uh, so, yeah, we we had a little bit of an investment in it in, at that time. But, I mean, I can't think of anything that we'd rather invest in. I mean, yeah. you know, this is why we came back to Kentucky was to try to show off where I'm from. My wife's from southern Indiana. Um, so close enough, 
But, you know, I wanted to show off where I'm from and that there is hospitality, that there is culture. I mean, I think, you know, food and drink don't always get talked about in the culture section of things, but it is. And um, so Top what, Chef just, yeah, it's a big spotlight. Yeah, so what were some of the reasons that I guess they chose Kentucky as to be featured on this season as opposed to other places? <clears throat> I think up and coming has to be part of it. I think that they really, there's, you know, uh, there's more people that, have got the bug. They they go, you know, sometimes they go away. They see what's in other places. They realize what they kind of are missing from back home. I think Kentucky's, you know, producing a lot of good artisans. I think that our farms, they had to look at our farmers and our agriculture and just say, wow, this is a, this is a really dynamic state when it comes to what grows here. What, you know, um, there's a lot. I mean, it, yeah. the cities are what, you know, everybody thinks about, Lexington and Louisville. But I think this season is really getting outside of the cities a lot. And that's the best part because it's just showing, like, from end to end of the state, there's a lot of different regions and a lot of little niche products that even Kentuckians don't know about, but, like, I think are genuinely proud of. So what is, I want to know, like, because you drive to Loretto, and, you know, <laughs> what, I wonder what these chefs, you know, haven't been to— to small towns or anywhere in Kentucky, what were they saying? Like, like where the hell are we? I mean, like, what is going on here? What 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 kind of the feedback? Because would they if you watch the show, you would know that they actually had to go to Loretto and then drive all the way back to Whole Foods in Louisville, <laughs> yeah. and then drive back. I was like, to what? Loretto. There's no Whole Foods in Loretto. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> we do have the uh, the IGA though. That oh, we, that's we right. Do a little shopping. You know what? <clears throat> it's a pretty. The response is the same from almost everybody that comes down there. The the chefs, the tourists, the sort of, it's this white knuckle look. And they're sure that they just came down the wildest, you know, little back road they've ever been to. We ask them how they get here and they actually came down the, the proper way. The chefs, I think, were uh, brought in the back way. So you you all know there's more mm-hmm. than one way to get into Maker's Mark, yep. and uh, they were they were a little rattled. I you mean, go across those, that little shady one lane bridge. It's, it's one ish lanes, <laughs> yeah. and there's slop trucks coming the other way at you. I mean, that's what the tourists. I think that's really what gets you is if you get a slop truck coming at you or not. <laughs> like that's when I believe that you had a hard time getting there. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just another road. You know, I grew up in Washington County, so sure. I was just that was how we used to drive, but. Uh, now the chefs were they were very generous I think with it. I think that they're just excited. It's it's such a mental task to be on that show because so little of it is really about who's the best cook, right? It's who's the best cook in today's situation. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. I mean, it's it's a it's a mind bend to think about the way they sort of put these things together. They're not tricking anybody, but it's not just purely Based on talent, everybody about, make a how you can handle the situation. Yeah, exactly. So you know, and, the ride down is part of that. You know, <laughs> you get car sick, you're gonna have a hard time. Yeah, uh, and, and you had a challenge too because you had to cook for all of them before. So talk about that and how so, challenging that was. That's what I was really wondering. <laughs> yeah, like if you're if you're like because you've got a lot of people there, you've got national spotlight, and if you're nervous during this whole time too, like God, like this is a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's not the Bird Pursuit podcast, you know, you're on it. <laughs> Top I, Chef, bravo. <laughs> you know what, though? Uh, I'll be perfectly honest. I think about it in the exact same way. Uh, every Everything I do, and it, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's a hard way to go about it. It all means the same. And, and so cooking for those chefs meant a lot. 
But those dinners we do on Saturday nights, it means that much. And so to me, that part was okay. The volume yeah. <laughs> was unreal because we also did the catering for the team that was filming the show. Mm. So our team is about four. Uh, the kitchen oh, team wow. down at Makers at the time was four. And uh, we were catering for the 150 people that they brought on site. The restaurant was actually open for normal service. And then we did that dinner that you saw, and it was 14 dishes for 14 people. And um, I think that just from volume, it was the most uh, taxing, one of the most taxing things we've ever done. But again, it was the coolest too. I mean, it was just so great that people really wanted to know more about things like frog legs. Yeah. You know, and why are there frog legs? And then you go, well, there might be a lot of frog legs here because we have more cattle than anybody uh, east of the Mississippi, state of Kentucky does. I and to have cattle, yeah. yeah. So we're the, the largest marino. beef producing state. And so to have cattle, you need those little ponds so they can drink and stay cool. And frogs do really well around lots of little ponds. So you end up growing up, going frog gigging. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's just these sort of cultural things that may or may not make sense to people that aren't from here. But I love being a banana croquette. Oh, I yeah. got to show the banana croquette off. As long as I saw the banana <laughs> croquette, I was like, oh, my man. <laughs> That's what I have Thanksgiving. My grandma still makes them yes. Thanksgiving. You know, they're awesome. All right. So, yeah. so you got to school people that aren't like native from Bardstown and uh, backwoods that kind of grew up as a city folk. So yeah. kind of talk about what is banana croquette. I've never even had frog legs in my life. Oh, so. What? See, uh, I know. Yeah, you we'll need to go it. gigging at my pond, yeah. man. So, I'll take you down there. We'll get you down for get one you of the Get you a flashlight yeah. and a, a gig. A f- that's all you need, a gig and a flashlight. But banana croquette, um, the way I grew up eating it was not the way I made for the TV show. I had to I had to class it up a little bit. <laughs> you didn't do just banana mayo and <laughs> crushed nuts. Crushed peanuts. <laughs> That's it. it it's, a, it's a banana of varying ripeness. Depends on your family or whether somebody forgot to buy the bananas. You can always <laughs> tell. And uh, usually it's either a Duke's or a Hellman's. Uh, I've known people to do Miracle Whip. I, yeah, it's a big mistake. I, it's a big mistake. You got to do Hellman's. You got to go Hellman's. And, and Duke's with the sugar can work a little bit, but then crushed peanuts. And my grandma had a, a hand crank peanut crusher, and she would use skin-on Spanish peanuts. No mm-hmm. idea why. I don't I think, like the skin. I think we just use whatever planters we put yeah. <laughs> Like, not too fancy. Well, and the way we're doing it now, we actually have a farmer in Loretta, and they have heirloom peanuts. Oh. But they, they're five generations deep growing these peanuts in Loretta, and they have five little nuts in the shell. They're nothing like a normal. So I use those just so I could show them to the people and stuff. And the way we made it for the show, you're basically making almost like a hollandaise sauce, eggs and vinegar and sugar, and you whisk it over a double boiler. It doubles in volume. You add a little bit of vinegar, apple cider vinegar to it. You keep whisking it. You take it off the heat. You add a little bit of peanut butter, and you add a little bit of mayonnaise to that, and it makes almost like a fudge sauce. Then you pour it all over the banana. Mm. Then you put crushed nuts. So I had to chef it up, mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually a recipe I found from the late 1800s. I collect cookbooks, and so I had some old Kentucky cookbook, and they had this recipe in it. So it makes it so much better when you don't hear stories about it, but you can actually find it. So then when somebody questions you, you can, you know, take it back and say, look, this isn't just mayonnaise and the way we grew up with it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like there's a, it's rooted in something. This is the quick version. Yeah. That, you know. The way, well, and, and that's the only way I'd ever eaten it. Yeah. Honestly, until we got the call about the show. And then I just went deep. 
And that, mm-hmm. my most proud thing is getting the banana croquette somehow a little bit of attention because it's got to be the weirdest thing that uh, that I made for him, for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Though. You know, Newman, the reason I respect you is because you do do banana croquettes and you do embrace, like, two of my favorite things ever are Jake's 150 quick stop sausage, hot sausage, and you gotta, you gotta give You got to give some, some <laughs> so background here. There's this... He grew up in Springfield, so Springfield and Bartstown, there's a road, 150, that connects them. The, this quick stop's, what, maybe halfway? It's probably, almost, yeah, right right in the middle-ish. I mean, Botland. Yeah, about the, the halfway uh, point. The town. But yeah. they make this sausage and this spice blend that goes in it, and it's incredible. They put on—you can buy it here in Louisville at Paul's and stuff for, like, 10 times the price that you would pay for there, but it's incredible in any dish. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but my first job when I turned 16 was a butcher— and I was a butcher's assistant at a butcher shop called The Meat House in Springfield. My boss uh, ran numbers. And the legend that I've been told and I, I believe is that Jake's 150 recipe was lost in a card game oh. between my boss and Dink. I've heard that story. I- <laughs> and, and that's and that's how the recipe got over there. So when I was 16, I was making not Jake's 150. I was making the Meat House version okay. of that sausage. And that's why I still don't have any hair on my arms. <laughs> it, was, it was thousands of pounds a week, every every week, and it was my favorite. So Jake's the reason I still because we got him in Food and Wine magazine. Mm-hmm. There's a little they got a little two page write up or something, and it was because sausage ball recipe we put in there. But there's just something about that sausage and it being iconic. I mean, biscuits and gravy was one of the things that we did for an iconic dish because it happens in a lot of places. But there's not a sausage culture around breakfast sausage in a lot of places like Kentucky. Right. Tennessee could have done it. A couple other southern states could have tried, but Kentucky really. Yeah, it's kind of it like the Ben's bacon, you know, or something, you know, of the sausages. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's great. I mean, they still make it in the gas station. I always <laughs> joke it's the best gas station sausage oh, yeah. I've ever had. You know, <laughs> it'll change your life. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that you did with that too, you know, to kind of like bring in some of the northern Kentucky folks. You know, you I, did you use something with Geta as well in the show too? You know what? One of the other episodes definitely got to Geta. Um, I think I put it up, and but some of the things that I put up. They said they already had other episodes for. Gotcha. So that's why there's no fried chicken necessarily in my episode. Or uh, in my case, I try to get them to do fried quail. Um, the hot brown. You know, I worked at the Brown Hotel. It was my first job out of culinary school. But there's no hot brown on our episode because I think that come came on down the line a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it was hard coming up with the list. And then as soon as it's done, you think of— Ten more iconic things that <laughs> yeah. you know mean something. Yeah, I mean Chow Chow or like all these little things. And I'm only from one of the regions. Mm-hmm. Like that's the other thing. I don't think I gave Western Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky a hundred percent of what they could have had because I'm from Central Kentucky. Sure, and it's a different cuisine, you know. Um, so how cool was it that I guess the challenge? If you haven't seen the episode, the challenge was to create the chefs were to create their own version of what you made for them how cool was that and like and i want to well let's talk about that first and i'll ask a follow-up question uh, honestly it's kind of surreal um just just the fact that the way they framed it was that i was the expert on kentucky cuisine and i mean i'm born and raised i've i've eaten it since i was born i've i do cook professionally and but for them to sort of believe it 
and eat it. And you could tell that they believed it because, you know, when they're eating, they could, they could feel how excited we were to share those dishes with them. Um, I think everybody did a great job. I think it's, it's one of the hardest things you can ever do is cook another chef's food mm-hmm. um, when you take it seriously because, you know, it's, it's just you can't cook somebody else's food. Um, and so that's why it was so interesting whenever we judged them to sort of go through it and see their influence and, you know, how much did they take away or did they really just cook their meal right. uh, in a way that, yeah, yeah, didn't. And I'm glad you said judge a few different, few different spices here and yeah. there. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And how hard is it to judge fellow chefs knowing what they've gone through and, like, are they like, look, you really need to critique or, like, you know, what's how do they approach it when you're a judge on the show? Or, they, did, or did the producer say, like, you got to be honest or you got to, you got to, no, don't hold back. Like, yeah, no, how'd that conversation go? No leading at all. Uh, it was, it was, it, and it wasn't that hard. I mean, you know, you take it into account, obviously, because you, you live the life and, you, you know, you saw how hard it was for them to do the. It looked hot. But. <laughs> It's always hot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, like that that part was hilarious because it's dramatic for TV, but we used to wear thermometers in our chef coat. And I mean, it'd be 130 degrees on your station. You know, if you ran a grill station, you literally were cooking. You know, your skin was tight at the end of the <laughs> night. So, you know, 98 degrees with humidity is just what it is. You yes, know, I part mean, of it. There could be a tobacco farmer episode and it's much hotter, you know? And so anyway, it was easy from the judging standpoint, just because all I do is eat and taste things, <laughs> you know I mean? You just taste, 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 taste. And you do it so that instantly when you taste something, you know, it's right or it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then why is it? It's and like it's, picking a bourbon when you go to a barrel pick or something. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> You're being analytical. I mean, it's not, you know, you don't want to sit in front of a master distiller and say, uh, this is terrible. <laughs> this one is flat. This one needs more time. You forgot about this one and the tannins are outrageous, right? But that's what you have to do when you're spending the money on it. And so that's the same <laughs> yep. same idea, you know? We were the customer. Um, you know, I, I, nobody did a bad job. And that made it a lot easier. Yeah. You know, if somebody had really bombed, none of us wanted to sit there and, you know, rail on them. But I guess we could have. It's funny, Fred yeah. on there, I think he got like one line in and he was like, I was like, that's typical Fred, like critical, like, you know, it's like, get, get my piece in. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you had a lot of FaceTime in it and it was, it was really cool to see a lot of the ways that you were directing people and talking to people about this. But I kind of want to shift a little bit and talk about your your relationship to Rob Samuels with this as well. But, you know, was there a was there a pep talk beforehand? Because I know there was probably like a lot on the line for Maker's Mark here to get this right. And he was like, don't screw it up. I trust you, but <laughs> I trust you, but be on your A game today. You know what, Rob? Um, I got to give it to Rob. He's pretty hands off manager when it's big picture. I think, you know, like any good person, when it comes to the details, you got to be involved. But you know, he he really honestly trusted that we were going to do our absolute best. I think that we've we've done, you know, that the only thing I can promise that I'll be on time and I'll try my best. And like <laughs> those are go. two things that I I always, you know, sort of do and Rob knows that and you know, I don't he didn't say anything. It was wonderful. He just he said this is Let your you day. Thing. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it was like this this is your day. And uh that's about as inspirational of a thing as somebody can tell you, I think, uh, they really believe in you whenever they say something like that. So yeah, Rob was, 
Rob was fantastic about it. The team, you know, the brand. I think the brand might have been more nervous than Rob was, right? There's a brand involved. <laughs> yeah. And that would have been the guys at Dale Anderson are like yeah, <laughs> freaking out. There's agencies <laughs> and there's budgets and all these things. And I don't blame them. I'd be I'd be worried too if I just sent a chef out to go and represent. But um I think everybody ended up happy with it. I think that the, you know, it, it, the show itself showed off the campus. Unbelievably. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing I could have done about that. That is no relation to me or my food yeah. or anything. But it's a beautiful place to be able mm-hmm. to serve food. And, I mean, that's really why we're together is they want hospitality and they want the highest level uh, that that makes sense as we grow uh, of service and of food. And that's been a sandwich shop. And we reopen in, you know, a little while. It'll be a different level of that and we'll just keep on sort of evolving they trust us to do it and we're really just trying to match up against you know dude growing up in washington county there were two types of weddings either a beer truck would show up with taps on the side with bud light or one you a beer truck and <laughs> bourbon and coke and it was always makers and coke and a red cup and like that was it's iconic i mean everybody in my you know the guys whose dads worked in distilleries worked at makers mark I could drive there in seven minutes from my parents' house, and we used to go swimming in the lake. I mean, and so this is before they had 24-hour security. I promise you don't want to try to go swimming anymore. Not anymore. Uh, No, no, don't do that. But, you know, just just being around that makes us want to raise our game and, you know, yeah, make them proud. So So after it was over, were you like, sigh relief, it's done, or were you like, Shit, let's do it again tomorrow. Like, what were what was your? No, it was a deep breath. Yeah, it was a solid deep breath. I mean, we uh, we had lost a couple key staff members right beforehand, um, which is a, always a bummer. But you know, people got to grow and do their thing, and so it was it was a little bit trying, you know. But I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Um, I think you know, ten minutes later, I was probably ready again. But right away, it was. Definitely a deep breath, and it was kind of surreal, like I said. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot going on in the middle of Loretta, Kentucky, um, and it's all about food, you know? I mean, I just— Couldn't get any better, yeah. 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 So we're at the pinnacle of the, you know, of your trajectory. So let's get back to the beginning. So how does a kid from Springfield, Kentucky get on Top Chef? Talk about how you got into food. Why did you choose food, and why did you think— uh, you know, central Kentucky is where you wanted to call home and start your own restaurant. Okay. I'm not loaded in, yeah. not loaded in that question, but yeah. no, we'll just sit back great. and listen. That's, I think you can handle it. <laughs> when I was seven, I wrote a, a letter to culinary school. Um, my mom's a school teacher, and she laminated it and copied it and kept a copy forever. And I don't know what I was thinking. I have, I have nobody in my family that cooked particularly well. My dad was the big cook. And, I mean, he's a very good cook, but there wasn't a culinary sort of influence on either side. Um, by the time I was 12, I was cooking like little three-course meals, and I don't think I'd ever eaten a three-course meal. I don't know where I even knew that you were supposed to have three courses. You didn't see it on TV or I don't like, know. Right, magazines or anything? We didn't have cables, so <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's really weird. And then I, I started culinary school 12 days after I graduated high school. So I was 17. Um, I finished, you know, 18 months later. I went to Sullivan in Louisville. Um, but you were doing at the you were at the butcher shop at sixteen. Is that what you said? Sixteen, say? yeah. The day the day I turned sixteen, 
I was at the butcher shop. I stayed at the butcher shop for the first three months of culinary school and then had to move to Louisville because I, I was falling asleep on the drive to, on the drive <laughs> yeah, to school every morning. <laughs> to be honest, it was, yeah, it was a little rough. So uh, I moved to Louisville and uh, had a couple of really terrible, they weren't terrible jobs. It was just jobs in terrible places. And um, it's still some of my biggest learning experiences, just things I would never do again, but it was really good to sort of do during culinary school. And then I worked for Joe Castro uh, at the Brown whenever I got out. Chef Joe was still there. Uh, he's the master. It was wonderful working for him. Um, so you right, can make a mean hot brown, right? I, we make a very good, we do it Lexington style. So we do the exact hot brown of the Brown Hotel plus country ham. Oh, nice. And I was born in Lexington. So from one to five lived there. And, uh, yeah, so I've got a little soft spot. And if you can add country ham, yeah, it not? wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Who doesn't it, love salty ham? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so worked at the Brown Hotel. Um, got a chance to go up to Cummins Diesel Engine after that. I lived in Columbus, uh, Indiana. So I was the private chef for the owner of the company. And then my boss, he cooked 12 Michelin stars. He was, he was just a badass. Uh, Gethin Thomas, and I was his uh, junior and senior sous chef there in Indiana for a couple of years, uh, moved to Scotland, and uh, did a short little stint in Scotland. It wasn't exactly what I what I thought I signed up for, but I had a good time. <laughs> Too much rain. Uh, you know what? The weather, I loved it. I, I only need the sun to make vegetables grow. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a weirdo in that respect. You yeah. know, I really, I dug that. I love the people. Um if you spend enough summers here, you're like, I'll take uh, cloudy and, yeah. and uh, cool. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Scotland was great, but I had broken up with my girlfriend to move to Scotland. And uh, her name was Rachel, who's now my wife. And oh. so I realized I'd probably just made a couple of mistakes. And I, <laughs> and I moved from Scotland to Chicago. Um, Chicago, I worked at North Pond Restaurant. So it's a Michelin one-star restaurant when I first moved there. And then I got into research and development. I was a corporate chef uh, for companies. Um, I did that for the next six, seven years. We did eight. We always say eight winners. We did eight winners in Chicago, and that was it. Eight winners. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's brutal. It's brutal. Oh, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, my first one or two, I still didn't have proper clothes, you know? It was like, <laughs> yeah. you think you're wearing your Kentucky winter clothes, and it doesn't that really do you much. And you're like, slices Ugh. right through you. Ugh. Well, that's what, last time I was there, you can't find anybody without those Canadian goose down uh, oh, jackets yeah. nowadays. And those things are expensive, but yeah. there's a reason why they oh, have yeah. them, yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, well, it's like... It's like reason- trekking on Everest when you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That and then between jackets and strollers, you spend all your money, you know, because you can't have, you can't afford two cars, so you get a nice stroller for the second Push, one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we did Chicago. Uh, I, you know, really, really enjoyed the product development side and the research and development. But uh, long story short, I broke my broke my foot and my ankle pretty bad, and I was out of work for six weeks. And I had the sort of job that I could be out of work, and somehow it it worked and. Um, my wife just knew I wasn't particularly happy with, you know, the sort of business that I was getting into at the very end. And, uh, she said we should open a restaurant in Kentucky and it wasn't the first time we had ever talked about it. We had obviously batting back and forth. What really started happening was barrel picks became Mm -hmm. big. So if you think 2011, 12, 13, when the barrel picks, I think that's, 
it's you know, 0708's the old old school, but I think of how lots of distilleries started opening up barrel picks, right? Mm-hmm. And our friends all ran bar programs in Chicago. Since I wasn't in a kitchen all the time now, I became really close to bar, you know, bartenders. So Blackbird, the Violet Hour, the Scofflaw Group, like they were our best friends. And they were all coming down to Kentucky and doing barrel picks, going to Louisville, having a blast at Knock Bar and, Mm -hmm. you know, a garage bar, a couple of, you know, places that were around then. Um, Air Devils in. ADI. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but then they were coming back and they were bummed out about the food, yeah. you know, and they were bummed out a little bit about the cocktails, right? There wasn't, you know, in, in those years, there weren't cocktail bars. Pearl wasn't around, you know, mm-hmm. the Silver Dollar wasn't. I was actually getting drinks from uh, the the beverage director for Silver Dollar. Larry. Are you talking about Larry? Uh, no, Susie. Susie okay. Hoyt. So his his partner Susie was the bartender at Big Star, which was my local watering hole in Chicago. That makes sense because when I went to Big Star, I was like, "This is like an exact replica of Silver Dollar." I was like, "Which one came first? Uh, well, the chicken was first. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, it was in this case. But I mean, you know, it, we just saw we just saw an opening. It kind of it made me a little bit. Uh, not upset. I mean, I wasn't mad at Kentucky or something like that, right? I mean, I chose not to live here for a long time. Um, but I just knew that there are really people doing this now, and it's on the industry level right now, but it's going to get down to a normal person level. And what's going to be there, you know? Um, and we started investigating. I grew up in a an old house built in the 1800s. To get a liquor license in Kentucky is weird. There's still a lot of esoteric kind of blue laws and you know my county is moist uh you know you can have a liquor license in the city but not in the county and then we found out a restaurant was for selling bargetown in a historic old home we could live upstairs was it called circa circa Circa, yeah yeah yeah, that was the name of it was circa uh because it was built circa 1780 okay um so it's the oldest stone home in nelson county uh and we live on the top two floors and then opened a restaurant on the bottom and that was it. I mean, that was five years ago this year. And, um, and that was I, the birth of Harrison Smith House. That was then. the birth of Harrison Smith House, yeah. And then about two years into Harrison Smith House, we started making barbecue sandwiches in the toll house at, at uh, Makers that had 12 seats. And that was the start of Star Hill Provisions. So were, did you approach them about doing that, or did they kind of ask you, like, hey, we need somebody. We got a lot of visitors coming here that— or make it a destination, but they need something to eat. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. 
And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Did you approach them about doing that or did they kind of ask you like, hey, we need somebody. We got a lot of visitors coming here that are making a destination, but they need something to eat. You know what? I think that I asked if I could sell barbecue sandwiches Okay. at the Toll House. I think that literally that was about <clears throat> as basic as it, as it started. Um, I, I think before that, there wasn't, I mean, we still opened as the first I think the first restaurant in a distillery, I think we we got that one or something like yeah. that. And I mean, even then, before that, it was all employees. Mm-hmm. That was that was sort of the focus was how do you be a dining room and then also sort of serve guests? And we just sort of turned that a little bit. And we we still love, love, love to get the employees in and, and to feed people that work there. But primarily now, yeah, we're guest focused. I mean, that's who's coming in on a Saturday in October. We're going to see... 550 plus guests from 11:30 to 4:30 on a day. Um, so when you, which is pretty good for even an average <laughs> yeah. restaurant, you it's, know? it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's it's a crush, man. It's an absolute crush. And then on Saturdays between May to the end of October, every Saturday night we do ticketed dinners. So you buy your ticket ahead of time. You come in. It's a set three course meal, three cocktails. We write the menu that morning. So we swap from being a fast casual lunch place to as comfortable of a fine dining experience. Cause I mean, mm. we really don't try to add a lot of the stodgy parts, but you know, it's, it's proper food. It's cold smoked fried quail, you know, on a Leonese salad and yeah, just, you know, country cooking, but tuned up a little bit. Quick, yeah. hop in the makers, man. We got to go to Whole Foods. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. oh man, you know how many times I wish there was a Whole Foods. I'm down there and you just change. You just have to change what you're doing. So yeah. like some of the main food distributors, will they come all the way down there? Like a, like a Creation Gardens or You know what, Creation, I actually have to get, they deliver to my house in Bargetown. Okay. Since I have the walk-in coolers there. And then I have to take it from my walk-in coolers in Bargetown down. They're working on it. And hopefully they'll hear this and work on it even faster. <laughs> Very excited to to get deliveries in Loretta. Um, I know some people there. I'll put in. I'll, <laughs> actually, I'll start the pot for you. Hey, well, we we like to use them. Uh, so yeah, but it's 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 a challenge. I mean, I think staff is probably the the biggest challenge. Um, we have great staff. Uh, you know, I think everybody who we employ, we're really lucky to have. But it's finding people with yeah. some passion and talent. And you know, if you're not from there, it can be intimidating. You know, living in the country is just like living in the city. I mean, they're both intimidating if you aren't from one or the other. Mm-hmm. But it's such a good place. You know, the the pace is right. We can really focus on what it is. If you're into food or drink or beverage, 
you focus on what matters and you don't have to spend a lot of time yeah. with the, the extras, the permitting, the, you know, sort of the crush that comes around. And so, yeah, staffing's the, the so difficult. I got a question just being from the region. So, like, obviously tourists coming in will embrace and kind of take on, you know, your the quality of food and don't mind paying higher. How hard was it to, like, convince the locals? Because, like, I know, you, you know, it's central Kentucky. It's not a wealthy – it's not poor, but it's not wealthy. So people are kind of, like, kind of put off by, like, high-end food sure. because it's so expensive. How hard is it was it to convince people that, like, come try us. I promise, you know, it's good. I, I got to be honest. People did great. Um, there's always going to be naysayers, right? There's always going to be – but – when people see you working your hardest and doing everything you can and they see the product that you're buying and they start to get interested in, you know, the rabbits you get and where you get them and why does this chicken taste different than chicken that I used to have? Like that was the conversation that really got us through it was yeah. we, we charged what we charged, but it was based in math. Right. It, I mean, it, it would be terrible if it wasn't or we wouldn't have been able to right. exist. You know, we buy better products. They cost more money. If we do our job right, they taste that much better. And that's really was the difference maker. You know, there was only two of us that did every bite of food and every drink basically that ever got served at Harrison Smith House. In the last part, we were lucky to have a couple of friends come and help us on Friday and Saturday nights. Um Paul Scullis, who has Kuvion Restaurant here in town. Yes, very He came good. and worked with us for a number of months. Uh, we had a, a guy named Anthony who came in and worked with us. He was fantastic. But two of us did 100%. Every bite of pastry, every roll, every deboned chicken thigh, every cocktail. And, um, you know, I think people, yeah. yeah, but people got it. You know, they could, that was what helped us get through it. You know, there were always some pushback. There's always a little naysaying. I mean, you know, it's not always get easy getting my parents to come in because they didn't want me to comp them every time. And yeah. we didn't eat at restaurants like that whenever I was growing up. But, right. you know, what made it easier was knowing that we did it in rea- based in reality, not trying to get rich or yeah, hell, if we if I learned how to start cooking to get rich, yeah, I would have been step to one to. is you're you're out of reality now. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I mean, you know, I I think it's a challenge anywhere. I think that chicken is chicken. I think that when you put eggs with something, everybody thinks it's worth less. Like mm-hmm. these are just common trends that unfortunately follow restaurants around everywhere. And that being said, the tourism business is big enough that we didn't have to cater to anybody in particular. We were really lucky. We got to make our food and sell it. And when we needed to, we added the three-course fried chicken dinner on Wednesday night, you know? And it was still $25 hey, more those. expensive. They yeah. were awesome. <laughs> well, thank I miss you. those. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, for a fried chicken meal, fast food's five bucks and ours is right. 30 So we were still, you know, five times more than people thought. But the number of teachers and, like, just like you said, real people that came to eat with us, it, it was nothing short of flattering and, you know— um, so a lot of our best customers weren't, I, I don't want to pretend like I know what their book yeah. was like, but you know, these super affluent, they, they weren't the who's who of Barstown, <laughs> sure. you know, mm-hmm. now the who's who's did eat there as well. Don't <laughs> right. get me wrong. Sure. You know? Yeah, for sure. I want to kind of talk about, so 
you've been embraced kind of by the bourbon community, like who's involved. And I think a lot of that has probably to do with Drew Colesveen. I know you guys are pretty close. Talk about how you're, you all got hooked up, I guess, and then kind of how you got thrown into the bourbon community. Yeah. Um, you know, when we moved to Barstown, I knew who Drew was. Uh, Will, it was really starting to, in a national sense, get more notoriety as to, you know, what KBF, uh, is and or I'm sorry, K, K Kentucky Kentucky Bourbon Festival or Kentucky no, Distillers no, Association. Just, neither no, the, the name all of, of them. Good Kentucky. The, no, the yeah Kentucky Bourbon Distillers or yeah that, KBD. Yeah, okay. there we go. Drew, all right, good. Their parent company. There we go. Yeah, there okay. we go. And people were starting to yeah, as we can tell, they were starting to figure that out. And so I saw Drew and I, you know, sort of in the media, and I was like, man, I I hope that I can get to know this guy. Um, I hope that this is who our peer set sort of becomes and ended up meeting. When we're talking about best customers, I mean, nobody. Uh, he's there like every day. Nobody ate at I the restaurant. I remember when you first came, uh, he was like, thank God this place moved in. <laughs> like finally get a decent meal. <laughs> no, Drew, Drew, without a doubt, it was the, and and still is really one of the biggest supporters we've had for the restaurant. He, um, he really lo- he loves cuisine. I mean, he, he embraces it. Uh, high and low. It doesn't have to be fancy. If it is, he still likes that an awful lot. <laughs> um, but no, he was just, you know, and then we got to know each other. I, I remember he gave us a gift when we opened and we barely knew each other. We'd met a couple of times and he brought me a Newsome ham uh, foot on, like one of these, you've got to be in line for three years. Like hands. the ones he ages in the basement? <laughs> yes. Well, then we got him on that for a little while, but uh, this ham was... I mean, it was one of the most special things we'd ever gotten. He just brought it in, gave it to us. Here you go, guys. Thanks for being in town. And uh, sort of went from there. We'd hang out, you know, obviously with such a cult bourbon, uh, you know. It was really interesting to go over to his place. And once you see his uh, his bourbon collection, it makes you want to stop collecting bourbon a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just go <laughs> to his house. And- well, you just it's, – it's just a realization sort of moment, you know. You go, well – I guess I could have a lot of Willet or a lot of anything, right? Yeah. But I'm never going to have it all. It's like Maker's Bottles, right? We, we started collecting those at the restaurant for a little while. But these Maker's fans, they have a million times more than we'll ever have. <laughs> yeah. So now we open the collectible ones, and, like, we do them all as a charity bottle. So people just freak out because they see their collectible bottles open, but we put the whole price of the shot towards charity. And then we get to see what whiskey made at that time tasted like. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, the 96 championship bottle, fantastic. It's got some denim in it. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's got notes of denim. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, so anyway, back to Drew. We, uh, yeah, we just hit it off, man. Um, yeah. And then he got me into cigars, you know. Oh, like we yeah. just, he, if, you, if you think he has a lot of will, it's wait till you see his cigar collection. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a pretty, pretty righteous selection. And you know, we just always had something to talk about. I'm interested in the whiskey. He's interested in food. We both sort of have mutual respect, I think, for for what the other one's doing. And and he was just a massive supporter. I mean, there's nothing like putting your money where your mouth is. And, you know, if you want to have nice things, you have to work at it. And he was always down to do his part to make sure that, you know, we were doing well. I mean, in our first year when things were really hard— you know, he, that's when Whiskey Pig started, or mm-hmm. now known as Bourbon yeah, Bonanza. Yeah, known as But Whiskey maybe Pig now we can call it Whiskey Pig again. Oh, okay, And cool. uh, I don't know, but it— uh, I like Whiskey Pig better. But, you know, <laughs> him starting that was 
was a big move. Between that and there's a guy named Greg Jensen. Do you guys know Greg? I know the name, yes. I know, okay, yeah. out, of, out of California. My wife and I were walking. We were pushing a stroller. Uh, maybe we'd been open for two or three weeks, and it was our first. Like, I, I think I had four hours off. And we were taking a walk, and we met this gentleman, and he seemed lost, and we gave him directions. And then he asked if we knew about the restaurant on the corner, and we're like, yeah, it's ours. Long story short, he comes in the next night with his uh, wife and his mother-in-law, and it's the first time anybody's ever asked for a tasting menu. He says, can you do it? Mm -hmm. And Josh and I are in the back, and we're sweating, and we're, like, nervous, and like goosebumps, and we're like, yeah, we can do that. That's that's what we've trained to do, but we thought we were coming to make fried chicken, you know? <laughs> and I swear, I think we cooked everything we could. He drank wine. He drank bourbon. They had a blast, and the ticket might have been 300. Mm -hmm. 300, like we just... We threw the wall at him, and yeah, it still he had one of the wasn't experience. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. It wasn't bad because we just weren't set for that yet, you know. Um, but he was deeper in the bourbon world than we would have known, and he started telling people. And then we started doing these dinners for barrel picks because I think your second part of the question was, how do we get involved in the the community? And that was it. That I mean, between Drew and the whiskey pig, and then sort of. Guys starting to do their their picks, you know, and then have a dinner for 20 afterwards. That did it. And, uh, you know, it just built and built and built. And we still do those dinners all the time at Harrison Smith House. I mean, we... We've been at one. We yeah. Have, we have. Yeah. You know, I kind of want to talk a lot about, you know, where did your passion for bourbon come from as well? You know, we haven't really talked about because you do. You you drink bourbon. Like, you have, I do. You, have, you have a knack for it. You love it. You know, where where did that passion really come from as well? Um, swimming in Maker's Lake. Yeah. <laughs> swimming in the lake helped. Uh, I mean, just being very honest, the earliest moonshine that we used to be able to get was always in empty Maker's bottles, which is odd, but mm -hmm. it was one of those little connection things. And, uh, you know, for me, I, it, it was just a national, you know, it's a pride thing. I, it, I like gin. I love drinking a gin and tonic. Don't get me wrong. But, Knowing where it's from, what it is, what it's made out of, the people who grew the corn, the people who make it. Like, at this point, there's no turning back from it, right? It's like, yeah. I love scotch. I love all these things. There's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty equal opportunity. But bourbon is the sort of, you know, the sun. And other <laughs> things evolve around mm -hmm. it in terms of our beverage selection choice. Um, it makes sense because of where we are, obviously. But even if it wasn't, so many of the classic cocktails. I love, even at Barstown Bourbon right now, they do the tiki drinks with bourbon mm -hmm. uh, involved. I love that. I mean, it's just versatile. Um, I don't know. My grandma drank bourbon. My great aunt, who our house cocktail is... You know, we have a house cocktail, and we've had it since the day we opened Harrison Smith, and it's still at Makers. And it's what she would make for herself every day at 11 a.m. when The Price is Right was on. And she would make one highball and watch Bob Barker, and then I guess— And you got the yodeler going on. Yeah, the, the mountain, <laughs> yeah. Plinko, and, and highball. Plinko, yeah. <laughs> and that's what she would do. And I can remember as a little kid helping her get the ice bucket. And watching this sort of go down. And, uh, you know, my grandma would drink uh, Heaven Hell Green Label and Coke. And at Christmas time, my dad would buy her a bottle of Makers. And she would always, it was just like, 
you, it was a script. She'd say, Pat Newman, I can't, I can't put Coke with that. You know I can't <laughs> have that. And, you know, it was just one of these little cultural things that, like, I didn't grow up thinking about a prohibitionist sort of stance on mm-hmm. a lot of things. And alcohol, I mean, it just, yeah. So the family was going to drink a little bit of bourbon. And that, yeah, that was it. So I got another kind of question for you because, you know, you, you've talked about makers a lot, but, you know, we knew, you know, we talk about chefs and bourbon. There's a, there's a few that stand out that had these kind of like magical pairings, right? So, you know, the late Anthony Bourdain, he had a very tight connection to loving Pappy Van Winkle. Uh, Chef Sean Brock, very into like the very, very old Fitzgeralds. Well, not anymore. Well, not anymore. <laughs> right, but right? do you have something that you have in a collection that you adorn, that you go back and, and like that's your that's your kind of like staple thing that you love. I'll be honest, if we're gonna talk vintage at all. Um, it could be anything. I like, yeah. I like two, I like two things together. I like almost, I like the weirdest of the weird. So this could mean, <laughs> I mean, you get to hang out around distillers. So you know, there's things that never get a label put on them. Absolutely. Um, I want that, I want that sea creature, that iodine, that weird, maybe it's off way for off some profile. people. Like I want way off profile and I want eight chartreuse. Mm-hmm. Those are my two <laughs> things. I want a little sip of both of those. I mean, but you know, I mean, because genuinely the best things I've ever had didn't have a label and yeah. they wouldn't have passed any QC test. They, um, and, and there's a couple of distilleries to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, that I've, that I've had that from, um, go ahead. And, we're listening. Which ones? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me check the uh, the label reports and I'll get right. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not trying to, to trying to dodge it, but I'm not really a brand guy. I don't I don't have one thing that I've always gravitated towards more than the other. It's 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 constant. Just trying oh, I'm taking a things. few few shots of Heaven Hill White Label and Old Bardstown with you in the back, and you know with you even Drew. Without a doubt, I mean the highest of the high and the lowest of the low is really where I want to sit. I mean that that's you know the most time where where I find the most pleasure is those two sort of spectrums of things. I think the middle is where things get cloudy a little bit. Um, you know that fifty dollar price range nowadays. That's mm-hmm. sixty seventy five is just a a different sort of piece than it used to be. And and give me below or above that, and uh, I'm usually generally pretty happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's another thing I kind of want to talk about, and this kind of goes back to, because uh, I, I think we would do ourselves a disservice if we didn't grab this little nugget of information, because we were upstairs and you were talking about your time in uh, the corporate world that you oh, had yeah. a hand in uh, one of the most... Uh, I'm glad you brought The, the biggest <laughs> breakfast sandwiches that are out there today. So kind of talk about that. My, yeah. my hangover cure of choice. Yeah. So one of my very first projects that I was involved in, so I, I'm 22 years old or 20, maybe 23, I don't know, and lived in Chicago and I get a job uh, at this product development firm. And they work with all kinds of different um, food service companies coming up with new products. And McDonald's wants to come up with something new, something innovative. And uh, they decide to do a pancake sandwich, right? What do they call that? The McGriddle? <laughs> yeah. The, the old McGriddle. Um, and so our part in it is how do you deliver syrup without getting it on somebody's hands? Mm-hmm. And that was our piece of the project. And 
we worked and worked and worked and ended up with these little encapsulated, you know, uh, like Halloween when you go out trick-or-treating, they'd have those bats and you bite them and there's like juice inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that food-grade wax is what we ended up using. And each one of those McGriddles has tiny little pocket of syrup wrapped Oh, in food I thought grade it was wax. magic. <laughs> <laughs> it is magic. It, it truly is. Because the thing is, if I was to give you a handful of them to eat, they would never melt in your mouth. It takes a certain like cooking temperature before they'll fully melt. And yeah, it's an encapsulation. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was a fun project. But, you know, the one around here gets everybody is campfire chicken for uh, Cracker Barrel. The oh, one really? they do all the yeah. billboards of? Yeah. That photo got taken in a basement in Chicago seven <laughs> years ago. Like, how wild is that, you know? This sort of country-looking dish mm-hmm. of a half a chicken roasted with carrots and stuff was a Kentucky boy in Chicago selling to a Tennessee company to put on billboards all over Louisville. <laughs> it's a weird little like, combo. Circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, kind of one of the last questions that I have is, is kind of, you know, we've talked about bourbon, we've talked about food, but where do the two kind of really intersect for you? Um, do you look at it as a way of, of cooking, just more pairing? Like, what, what, what's your real take on it? You know, people ask a lot about what I think pairs best, and I know that's not the question, but part of it is, you know, and I, I'm just a firm believer that good goes with good, and it's not a scapegoat example to, like, get out of pairing things, because I could give you exacts, but I think that genuinely there's, like, a couple of levels that you can enjoy food and bourbon and everything else on. You know, there's the straight hedonist level, which is great, and it's a little bit too much of, you know, responsibly too much of everything. Uh, but, you know, lots of food. It's like the dinner I cook for Top Chef. It's too much food. Mm-hmm. It's too much. But it's just too much, right? You feel good about it. You're going to eat the leftovers. You're not wasting it. But, you know, there's sort of that level of pairing. And then when you go to the high end, we just got back from from Spain, uh, my wife and I. And, you know, we were doing these sort of Michelin tasting menus. And it was amazing how much the pairings played into the total meal. And it was a reminder to me because with cocktails, we had to be a little bit more careful. We can't go 10 courses, 10 cocktails. It's never going to work. You know, wine and beer sort of have that play. But I I came back with just a a stronger desire to think about what exactly does go together. Instead of always good goes with good, that will work. But, like, there's some next-level pairing things going on. And, you know— that's why you travel and see things. Is you get humbled and inspired, inspired yeah. at both, and realize what you should be doing a little more of. And and I did. And so moving forward, you know, I'm excited to sort of look a little deeper. And like I, we all know, black walnuts and bourbon go together. But why? And what's the best way to eat that black walnut? Right? Is it is it candied so it's shattery? Is it uh, pickled so it's kind of soft and has a different texture? Is it as a garnish for a drink? Is it ground up as the rim for a glass. I mean, there's, I don't know. I can think of more, but uh, that's what I'm excited about right now, moving mm-hmm. forward. And, and just, you know, that's where I see bourbon and food coming back together. Oh, fantastic. Very cool. So the other thing that we also want to know is that, you know, people want to be able to go visit Star Hill Provisions. Uh, also get the, just get the Benedictine and bacon. That. That's my favorite thing. It's yes. really good. <laughs> But, you know, also let people know that, you know, this is this is your thing as well, right? This isn't, um, you know, a, a Beam Suntory-owned venture. Like, like Star Hill Provisions is you. It's a team of, of you and uh, your, your 
your chefs and everything. So yeah, kind of talk about that real quick too. Yeah, it, and and props to makers for letting us, you know, for having a vision and and letting us sort of be independent. But my wife, my brother, and myself own and operate the restaurant. Um, makers definitely supports us in every way possible. They're they're there. They're our team. Um, but you know, when it comes time to people getting paid, and you know, when you're coming down to support your local business, like it's us. It really is. You know a mom and pop spot uh, with a brother as the general manager. And, um, you know, I don't think that should drive anybody to or for, you know, uh, but, you know, that is the situation down there right now. And I think it's good for them because they're a wonderful manufacturer, right? They make amazing bourbon. They've been doing it a long time and that's what they do perfectly. And I think it's very smart that they decided to sort of farm out what is not your core competency, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give them tips on how to make bourbon. (laughs) Right. That's for sure, (laughs) you know? Uh, And and so, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. But that is is how the the business side of things works down there. Mm -hmm. And now you get to say hi to Denny over there a lot now, too. Oh, man, we get to say hi to Denny all the time. I love seeing Denny over there. He uh, Yeah, I feel like you eat two peas in a pod. Yeah, yeah, he does a great job at what he does. I mean, you know, he's been crushing it for a long time, and— I think he likes getting back to Maker's Mark. Um, you know, his previous time there, he really loved it. And, yeah, I want to race his truck sometime. He drives around a little uh, Ford Raptor. <laughs> oh, he's, he's got oh, yeah. one of those nice, Diddy's, nice. Diddy's moving around. He's moving up in the world. There nice. we go. I want to close, or not close, but maybe wrap up with this question. So you you mentioned Bardstown Bourbon Company. You guys kind of were the for, on the forefront of the hospitality side of <laughs> the bourbon tourism um, I guess Kentucky Owls moving in to mm-hmm. Bardstown. What do you? How do you see the future unfolding for uh, you know the whole hospitality experience and the Bourbon Trail experience in Bardstown? I think in Bardstown County or whatever. I mean, you know, Central Kentucky. <laughs> well, I'll speak to Bardstown first because I think it is different. I think that Bardstown, if uh, if the local population decides they want to become a tourist mecca. They will be. Mm-hmm. Well, and, for, I forgot, and then Willits is also, they just hired like Sean Brock, chef, and they're going to have. Yeah, know, John Sleesman. And yep. he's, yeah, fantastic talent. I mean, I can't wait until uh, he gets a restaurant so I can come and eat at somebody's restaurant too. Well, that's what I was telling Drew because we go to bars and I was like, well, we can finally go to your place instead of coming over here. So, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, but I think Barstown has endless potential. I, I truly do. But I think it needs buy in from the people that actually live there all the time. Earlier when we were getting our our letters mixed up, bars, the, the Bourbon Fest is a good example. You know, what does that want to be? You know, what can it be? Um, you know, those are the sort of things and questions that I think are going to affect Barstown as to whether it's really going to become the hot spot for the entire trail. I think yeah. the opportunity's there. Versus- I think it already... Well, versus Louisville yeah, being versus the beginning or Lexington, or Lexington yeah. being it. Yeah, I think the opportunity is there. And um, I don't know which way it'll go. You know, I mean, we believe in it. We've got a lot of reasons to believe in it. And we're not planning on doing anything different. Um, as far as Loretta goes, Maker's vision for the future is strong. Um, you know, knock on wood, we'll be part of it, uh, you know, as long as we possibly can. But, you know, they they have a really, really strong desire to make, you know, that part of Kentucky the most culturally relevant part that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And for me, I can't think of a better goal or yeah. mission, right? It's well, like cook good food and then create some sort of interest and then create a value for all our farmers, right? These people are 
doing an amazing job and they don't have tobacco anymore. And so they don't have a cash crop to really get them through things. So, you know, could food be it? Could, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, growing up on a tobacco farm, like I would like to see uh, happen. And, you know, and I think, yeah, there's a good lot of opportunities. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've had Rob and Bill on the show. And I mean, if one thing stands out about them both, they have great vision and, Great execution on that vision. So I think the area is in good hands. Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll close it out with that. But, you know, I want to also give people the opportunity if all of a sudden, hey, they know about Harrison Smith House, they want to come in, they're coming in for a barrel pick, they've got 20 people lined up, and they want to they want to have something. How do they get in contact with you? Absolutely. Uh, we do have a website, harrisonsmithhouse.com. Uh, you just send an, in, uh, an email to the info at, and my wife, Rachel, it's going to be the one getting back to you. Um, and then same thing, we do the private events at Star Hill Provisions as well. Um, we are underneath the Maker's Mark website. So if you go to makersmark.com and go to the restaurant segment, you'll be able to get a hold of us there. Uh, and it has all of our sort of information and hours. And we do the same sort of dinners there as well. Um, and then if you ever want to see something that I've put out, I'm bourbon and ham. Uh, so all social media accounts, all one word, bourbon and ham. Two of my so favorite things. Yeah. I've liked it long enough to get that handle. So you know <laughs> yeah. it's been gone for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should last question because you said that you had, you had gotten the, the place that was originally called Circa. Why did you rename it to Harrison Smith House? Yeah, and that's what's a good the question. And what's the, uh, the connotation? So the, the real reason is the house as it originally was built was the Harrison slash Smith House. They named homes after the the builder and owner of the home. Um, the flip side of that is my brother's name is Harrison. And so once they like told me today. that the original yeah. name of the house was the Harrison Smith house, it was just a no-brainer. It was just an absolute— You have a lot of full-circle stories. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's weird, man. It's weird, yeah, it, well, because you can't say no to things. I'm just going to start walking like around you. To you know, good things are going to happen to me. You're just going to drop nuggets of information. <laughs> no, man, the Harrison Smith house. And so that was it. And now my brother has to answer the phone and say, hello, this is Harrison. Thank you for calling the Harrison Smith house. <laughs> and people don't know what to do, and it makes like, my uh, day. Yeah. It, it makes my day. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, Newman, thank you again for coming on the show today. We were very happy able to get you on because yeah. uh, apparently a chef's schedule is very hectic. So yeah. I'm glad this was actually glad able to work out. Glad you need a haircut today. Yeah. Hey, so. y'all, thank y'all so much. I'm really glad we got it done. And yeah, anytime. I'd love to come back sometime. Very cool. Yeah, we're going to make it happen. Absolutely. So if you like what you hear, make sure you support the show on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. You can also follow us on all those social media handles at Bourbon Pursuit as well. And Ryan, kind of close us out and make sure people leave us reviews too. Yeah, leave us reviews. Tell us, give us some feedback, comments, show notes. Or not, we do the show notes. We always show do suggestions, show notes. <laughs> you know, because we like hearing back from you. We want to hear what, or we want to know what you want to hear so we can bring that to you because that's who we're here for is you guys. So appreciate you all listening. Newman, that was I could sit here and talk to you for hours. So it was very cool, and I appreciate your time. So we'll see you all next time.